don't die before you're dead. Mm-hmm. So that's connecting to the, the conscious moments, connecting to every day. Mm-hmm. And just living life for the full, no regrets. Welcome, everybody, to the Jeff Mara podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Um, Today, I have an awesome guest. I've been waiting to talk to her, and I finally got her here. Her name is Kirsty Salisbury. She's a speaker, podcaster, and coach filled with passion for her message of eliminating regret, living on purpose, and removing the fear of death. Tonight, we'll be speaking about her near-death experience and what she has learned from it and what she can teach us from it. So, Kirsty, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you, Jeff. It is great to connect with you. I know it's taken a little while. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy to be there. And yes, you've t- touched on some of my favorite topics. I love chatting about these things. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be great. Yes. All right. So let's start from the beginning. Um, From what I understand, you had a brain injury that resulted in you flatlining on the table. So can you, you know, elaborate on that for us? Yeah, sure. So I was really young. I was only 12 years old. I just had my 12th birthday and uh, I was a competitive gymnast and I lived my life for gymnastics. So I was very active, very fit, and I just lived life to the absolute full. Mm Mm-hmm. And then one day I noticed that I was super duper tired and, oh, I just couldn't be bothered with anything. And I didn't feel great, Mm -hmm. but I didn't realize that anything was wrong. So I ended up having an early early night, as you do, got into bed, went to sleep, no idea that anything was different. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of hours later in the middle of the night, I woke up and, you know, everyone else had gone to bed. It was really dark in the house and I had a headache and I... It was, it was a headache like nothing I'd ever felt before, and it was really specific. Mm-hmm. So I could feel the pain was literally a pinpoint right up here, mm-hmm. and it was excruciating. Mm-hmm. And I was lying in my bed, and I was thinking, oh, something's really, you know, this isn't, this isn't good. Something's really not right. Mm-hmm. And then I started to feel really sick, and as you do with headaches, often you get a bit of nausea, mm-hmm. and you can get some vomiting, things like that. So I thought, I'm going to have to get myself to the bathroom. So I got up out of my bed and I collapsed on the floor. Wow. And I was so confused why that happened. Mm -hmm. And so then I was trying to pull myself back up because I was still feeling quite sick. Mm -hmm. And it was at that point that I realized that my body wasn't working. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, no, this is really unusual. Hmm. And I could give you a really long story, take you through the whole journey on that. But basically what had happened was my brain was malformed. So okay. before I was born, uh, my brain, you know, some people are born and maybe they're missing a hand or a foot or a part of a limb or something like that. And they're just right. a little bit malformed. It was like that, but it was my brain. And so, of course, you could not see it. So you never knew. There was mm-hmm. no reason to believe that anything was wrong inside my head. So I had this malformed brain. And what that meant is that the blood vessels, all the blood flowing through these vessels, could um, sometimes the blood could get a little bit blocked I suppose the blood vessels would expand and so they that expanded on this night and they'd blocked the blood flow Mm -hmm. and then it had built up and built up and built up until there was so much pressure in my brain that basically it just burst and bled Mm. so I had a brain hemorrhage Mm -hmm. and again completely out of the blue Mm -hmm. and there was a whole lot of stuff that took place from me lying on the floor Mm -hmm. and then 
going to a coma basically. Mm-hmm. But my in the morning, my parents couldn't wake me up. They'd got me back into bed and sorted me out. They couldn't wake me up in the morning mm-hmm. and they phoned an ambulance and sorry, phoned the doctor. The doctor came around and he freaked out and he said, phone an ambulance. We've got to get her to hospital mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So they rushed me off to hospital and in the operating theater, I flatlined twice. Okay. So they're giving me brain surgery because they had to remove these little vessels that were up in my brain. They had to remove the the clots that were causing the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called an AVM if anybody's listening and wants the technical version, an AVM, arterial venous malformation. Okay. And so these things are fairly common. Well, I wouldn't say they're common, but mm-hmm. these things happen, but they don't always happen in the brain. So you can get them in other parts of your body. Mm-hmm. So I had this AVM on my brain and they're removing it on the operating table. I flatlined, they brought me back mm-hmm. and they said, okay, we've just got to fix her up. So we'll do the bare minimum just to get her back. Right. And then I flatlined again. Right. And that was the point when the surgeons thought we need to abort the surgery. This is too dangerous. She won't make it. So it was just so amazing. I had the most skilled and incredible surgeons in there. Mm-hmm. Um, they aborted the surgery. So they got me stable. They mm-hmm. aborted the surgery. And then I woke up, I think it was about five days later. I need to go through my notes to know exactly how mm-hmm. many days, but it was about five days later that I woke up in a critical care unit in mm-hmm. the hospital. Mm-hmm. So this is the highest level of care that you can get. Right. And I had tubes everywhere. I had all sorts of stuff going on. And I also had had this really interesting experience. Mm -hmm. So I knew everything that had happened. I knew that I was really unwell. I knew that I'd had this brain bleed. I knew that I was paralyzed because that was why I collapsed on the floor. Right. was because I was paralyzed down the left side of my body from the bleeding on the brain. Mm -hmm. And the nurses and the doctors would come in and they would, you know, try and tell me, say, hey, look, you've been really unwell and mm-hmm. try and explain why I was in hospital. I guess it's probably quite a natural thing to explain to a patient who's just woken up out of a coma. Right. But I was getting really frustrated with them because I knew where I was. I right. knew what had happened. Right. And I knew that I was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So it was quite a weird thing. Um, I, yeah, I had had this experience where I'd been in pitch, pitch blackness Mm -hmm. and there was a voice and it was talking to me. It turned out to be my father's voice. Mm -hmm. My father was alive at the time, which for near-death experiences, Mm -hmm. um, I research them quite heavily now. So that's not so common to have a living person in the experience. Quite Mm -hmm. often people see people Mm -hmm. who have passed or people, you know, from centuries ago, Mm -hmm. family connections. Mm -hmm. They see their ancestors or whoever, but I had my father in my experience who was alive at the time Mm -hmm. and quite often in the hospital. And so he was communicating with me and I was trying to interact with him and I couldn't, Mm -hmm. but I never saw him. Mm -hmm. I could just hear this voice and it was like he was in my ear, Mm -hmm. so a part of me and so close to me. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, he was like, galaxies away so Mm. far that I can't even comprehend how far away Mm -hmm. so he was in two it was like he was in two places at once right and I was trying to interact with him and I was trying to connect with him but I couldn't find where he was I couldn't see him I couldn't work out where I was Mm -hmm. because I was no longer in a body I was no longer you know head shoulders arms legs Mm -hmm. torso and I was in this pitch, pitch blackness. Mm. 
And eventually he asked me to squeeze his hand. And so mm-hmm. I squeezed his hand, which was really, really hard to do. There's a bit of backstory around that about mm-hmm. how hard I was trying. It's because I don't necessarily know that I had a hand mm-hmm. and I couldn't find him. So it, it's, you know, Jeff, I just can't even put this into words because mm-hmm. it is so not mm-hmm. something you can actually explain. Sure. But anyway, I um, I managed to get a little twitch out of my finger or something like that happened. And then there was this booming, silent white light. Mm-hmm. And I was in this place of just absolute whiteness. Um, it was just love and celebration and it was just the most amazing feeling that I have ever experienced mm-hmm. and so I'm in this thing and there's people all around me like beings and I can remember trying to look at them and I can remember trying to work out who they were but I never got the chance to see their faces it was like they were silhouette people mm-hmm. they were there and they were so familiar hmm. and they were so incredible but I don't know who they were right so I was 12 years old at the time, I hadn't had a lot of death in my life. I hadn't even been to a funeral. Sure. The first funeral I went to was when I was 18. So mm-hmm. death was not a familiar thing for me. I had no precept beliefs. I had no concept of death, really. I was young. My worldview wasn't formed yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm in this place with all of these people cheering and celebrating, and there was music, and there was just... It was about me, which sounds really selfish, but they were Mm -hmm. welcoming me. Mm -hmm. And it was like I'd come home. I can't explain it, but Mm -hmm. just the most beautiful experience. And, yes, so the last thing I remember is there were these beings all around me. I'd say there was probably about seven or eight of them. And I was trying to look and trying to get their face, trying to understand who they were and get some detail of who they were. And then, boom, boom. I was back in my body and I was waking up from my coma. Hmm. And so I don't remember I don't remember leaving that place. I don't mm-hmm. remember traveling there. It was literally it just happened. Mm-hmm. And it was the most unusual experience. So I woke up out of this coma and there were doctors and nurses trying to tell me, you know, what had happened to me. And I was going, I know, I know. And I knew so many facts. Whereas I couldn't have really because I'd been in a coma. There was no way that I could have known the stuff that I did. Mm-hmm. And I could also see my parents getting in the car, coming to, because they'd got the news that I'd woken up, coming to the hospital. Mm-hmm. I could see different things happening in different places at the same time, which mm-hmm. is a really, again, a very hard one to explain because it's not really something that we experience here. It's not something that you can explain. Mm-hmm. And I knew out of doubt that everything was exactly as it needed to be. I believe you said you went into a coma twice, right? I flatlined twice. Flatlined twice during the surgery? Yeah. The same surgery, surgical procedure, you flatlined, they brought you back, you flatlined again, they brought you back. Yeah. And then, and then you went into a coma at that point? Well, I guess I was already in a coma. So when I fell out of the bed in the evening, the very beginning of the experience, um, mm-hmm. the drama, I suppose. Right. I fell into a coma. So that's where my parents couldn't wake me up in the morning. I was already in you a are state are, of- Okay, good. Yeah. So that kind of clears it up for me. You were already in a coma. They took you to the hospital. They tried a, they tried a procedure, a surgical procedure twice. Mm-hmm. 
while you mm-hmm. or you flatline on the table twice, and then they just said, "Okay, well, we're just going to patch her up, and you know, hopefully she'll pull through." Right? That's my yeah. guess. Kind yeah. of what they said. Well, we you know we can't keep doing that because we're going to right? we can't keep flatlining her. We might not get her back the next time. So let's fix her up and and try to stabilize her. And exactly. Then, the idea was stabilize me, and then when I was stable, work out what the heck we were going to do. Right, and then so you stayed in a coma. For how many days after until after that surgery was over? So I believe it was another five days. Well, it was five days later that I woke up. Okay. I don't quote me on that, um, but it was definitely a couple of days later. Okay. I believe five. I need to go through medical records. Okay. Sure. It's okay. I mean, we don't, you're not on trial. I don't know. No, I don't. No, need, no, but people I, you, get really hung up on these small details. Oh, I, yeah. I don't need the. I don't need the exact tiny details. I'm just trying to kind of. I'm trying to get to orient myself. So between the surgery and you waking up, do you think that's when you had the near death experience, or it could have been when? Do, do you have any idea when you think you had it? I yeah. This is a really good question. I would say it would be somewhere when I'm flatlined. Okay. That would be to me the the obvious one. Um, there was before I was rushed off to hospital. I had this experience where I heard this voice and it was telling me not to go to sleep. Like I say, I've given you the quick version. Right. It was telling me that I couldn't sleep and I just could not stay awake. And in the end, I succumbed and fell asleep. And that's where I went into the coma. Mm-hmm. At a guess, I'm going to say either happened when I flatlined or it happened immediately after in that state of deep coma, that was a medicated coma by that stage. You know, they'd given me lots of drugs to keep me really in a deep place while they operated. Okay. And we don't even know if that's, I would assume it would be the second time. That's yeah. Either the second time or in that deep coma straight after. At some point after you'd between flatlining and the, and waking up during that state, you had this experience or did you and your father ever have the conversation that you, you were saying, yeah, you were telling me to squeeze my finger. And he yeah. said, and did he actually, did he actually tell you that? Or is that just something that you heard? This is, so this is my memory. Mm. And obviously when I woke up, the first thing I wanted to ask was like, did that really happen? Were you there? Were you asking me to right. squeeze your hand? Right. And the truth was he really struggled with everything that was going on. He spent most of the time outside of the room. Mm-hmm. He didn't really come in and spend time with me. This is when I'm in a coma. Right. And um, so he said, no, no, I didn't. That, you know, I couldn't do that. But what he did say was, do you remember? And I'm not going to use a name, but there was a person who would come in, a great family friend. She was coming in and sitting beside my bedside and mm. telling me all of these stories and, you know, trying to connect with me on some level. Mm-hmm. He said, do you remember her coming in? And I said, I've got no memory of that whatsoever. Interesting. And then pre- uh consequence times like after that experience I tried to talk to my father about it but he was so upset by this whole experience he really struggled to be able to talk about it really struggled to be able to open up Mm -hmm. whereas I was mostly okay right it did take me 27 years to be able to talk about this publicly I mean we're talking it happened a really long time ago sure and then also I had the physical trauma so my body was in a physical state but yes my first question was to ask my dad did that happen did Mm -hmm. you ask me to squeeze your hand Mm -hmm. and he said no that he was outside of the room most of the time okay interesting the story you usually hear is that, you know, either they float out of their body and then they, you know, pretty quickly they see the light. 
or a tunnel yeah. of light. It usually happens pretty quickly. But initially, you were in this state of darkness, and then it was like as if someone had to like, hey, come over here, you know, like squeeze my hand. They had to get your, get your attention to come to the light. And then all of a sudden, because it sounds like from what you said, you after you did that, you immediately popped into another realm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it was exactly like that. Um, there's a very common pattern with near-death experiences, and it's been termed the void, and it is exactly this dark place. Interesting. Now, I didn't know any of this. Mm-hmm. I, I discounted, because of my father being in it, mm-hmm. I discounted my experience for years and years and years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was so real to me that I've never been able to let go of it. And it's it's been such a massive thing in my life. And mm-hmm. yet I was trying to convince myself that it didn't happen because, um, yeah, he was in it. And I kind of didn't want to face it. I didn't want to accept that that had happened. I had a whole lot of stuff going on, especially physically in my body. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when I found out that actually this this place of darkness is really common with mm-hmm. experiences. Mm-hmm. So there's a scale called the Grayson scale mm-hmm. and it lists through all these different things and you can have a look and there's all these different criteria to determine how deep an experience you had or whether mm-hmm. you even had a near-death experience. Mm-hmm. And there's some really common themes. So Bruce Grayson invented this. He did a whole lot of research. Mm-hmm. And the common themes are things like seeing the white light. Mm-hmm. going through the tunnel, mm-hmm. seeing past relatives or ancestors or something like that, mm-hmm. um, going into this place of the void. But mm-hmm. then there's a lot of things as well which people have when they come back. Mm-hmm. So this might be physiological things. It might be spiritual abilities or mm-hmm. where we just know things. And mm-hmm. so there's actually a whole lot of research that's been put into this to understand near-death experiences and what the common themes are. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the void, the dark place is actually really quite common before the light. What I find interesting and I want to come back to is that, and I hope you don't feel uncomfortable talking about this, but you were saying that you didn't want to believe it or you didn't want to confront it. What was it about that that you, was it that you didn't want to confront death? Were you thinking like, am I making this up? Was that your thought process? Was it more of, I don't know if this really happened, am I making this up? Or was it, whoa, something really scary happened to me and I don't want to think about that? So there's a couple of elements there. There is an element of, wow, am I a bit crazy? I now okay. have a slight brain injury, you know, from surgery, things like that. Do, mm-hmm. Am I, have I lost the plot? Am I a bit loopy? Okay. It's not questioning whether it happened because it was so super real. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, it's not about questioning whether it happened. It's about what do I do with this? Okay. So for starters, what would people say? What would people think? Mm-hmm. Am I crazy? Oh. And, you know, as I start to research, especially in the earlier days, like I'm talking quite a while ago now. Mm-hmm. Before we had the internet, before we had all of the research that we do, mm. people who had near-death experiences were often put into psychiatric care oh, because wow. they were presumed crazy. Wow. And so as I, you know, there wasn't a lot of research I did early on, but now I've seen it, there was just that element of what the heck do you do with that and confronting it. So mm. even I, I struggled to... Sorry, I I do lose my words a little bit. Mm. I struggled to cope with my physical Mm -hmm. situation. So when I woke up out of my coma, I was completely paralyzed down one side of my body, down Mm -hmm. my left side. Mm 
So I had to learn how to walk and to talk properly and how to do all of these fun things that everybody just does every day. And I had a lot of shame. I felt really embarrassed because I looked a bit funny. I dribbled out my mouth and, sure, you know, going to school. Like I missed quite a few years of school there. Right. Um, on and off, I, I dabbled in school basically. But I was adamant I didn't want to go to school in a wheelchair. And so that delayed me going back. But I didn't want to be, the, you know, I was kind of like the freaky kid, I suppose, in right. my opinion. People go, oh, what were you worried about? But you know, I, you've got to remember I had half a head of hair. I had a nice big scar with, yeah. you know, it was all a bit, a bit mm. fun. So mm. I felt very much like I stood out. I walked, when I did learn to walk, I walked with a huge limp for quite a while. Sure. And so I didn't want to be that kid. Mm-hmm. And I found it easier sort of to go into myself than to be that kid. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I've learned a lot more about myself and I've learned how to cope with things. And now I'd probably embrace it entirely differently. Mm-hmm. But back then, I was just really concerned about about standing out, uh, about okay. dealing with it, because if I had to accept something, you know, it meant going into it. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, it just felt so much easier to push everything under the rug and hope that it disappeared or just to forget about it. Right. So then I tried to just move on and live the same life. I just wanted to be a normal kid. I wanted to be a normal teenager. Sure. Didn't yeah. work too well because, yeah, I mean, I still had – the issue in my brain because they couldn't surgically remove it. Mm-hmm. So I ended up having to have some um, very early on, it was called stereotactic radiation therapy. And so this was over in the UK. I mm-hmm. live in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So I'm literally having to fly across the other side of the world to get this treatment. Wow. We don't know whether a plane's going to kill me, you know, the different pressure in the cabin. And there was so many different things going on mm-hmm. that here I was just wanting to be a normal teenager yeah. But my life was very far from normal. So Sure. Yeah, I yeah. hope that answers your question. Oh, yeah, it does. Um, let me ask you this. At the time, were you, were you religious? And if so, what religion were you? No. So I came from, I'm going to say, a pretty atheist or non-believing family. Okay. I had had very little exposure to mm-hmm. any kind of religion or mm-hmm. belief system or mm-hmm. anything like that. Mm-hmm. The most I'd had was over here, we have Bible in schools, which is where we get, I guess you'd call it religious education when we're in primary school, mm-hmm. the early years. Right. That was the most I'd had. But funnily enough, the first place that I went when I was able to leave the house and, you know, I'm not talking about you know, the first place that I could go by myself or with friends. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to go to church. Oh, interesting. So I went to the first, I remember being the first place that I went first night out mm-hmm. was me and my friend. We went to church. We went to the local youth group mm-hmm. and I was freaking out because I associated church with God, yes. God, God with the white light, white light with experience. You know, it all connected up and that was all that I could connect to and I was just longing to get that connection I wanted understanding I was so confused by my experience Mm -hmm. and I wanted to understand what had happened and I wanted to feel that thing again you know when I was in the white light yes I had a very sudden belief in God and angels and Mm -hmm. spiritual things I Mm -hmm. suppose Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah it's interesting I lived a pretty um intense I guess Christian life at that point, afterward, did you become? I mean, are you still Christian and um, or not? Doesn't matter. And and 
it sounds like at least at that time you you became more of a devout or serious Christian. Oh, absolutely. And it was so easy for me to be devout because mm-hmm. I had no issue with belief. I yeah. believed so incredibly mm-hmm. that God was real yes. and that we can be connected to him. And, you know, all of the things that we question and we have difficulty with faith and believing, mm-hmm. they were gone for me. So cool. I was very devout very mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. But I did struggle to put my experience within a system, within a belief, within a, a, a name or a box or anything right. like that. So even though I was completely devout and I was doing everything I could, mm-hmm. I still struggled with, but God, you're so much bigger than what we believe here. We're, you're so much bigger than what we taught. You're bigger than this, bigger than that. Yeah. And so I felt like my beliefs were quite restricted. Right. So it's not that I'm not Christian, Mm-hmm. But I believe that my my experience has made me, you know, I, I think a lot more outside of the box. To me, Christianity seems a little bit too rigid or enclosed. Yeah. I, I can't put it into words. I can't explain it. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. You know, I am, um, you know, as I mentioned before, I the little bit that I did study, and I remember one of the people, I don't know if it was the, the cardiologist or whoever, but I think he was stating that, you know, Christians would see Jesus, you know, Muslims would see Allah, you know, I guess Buddhists would see Buddha, and atheists would see an energy being or something, mm. you know, but everybody saw some, you know, some tor- some symbol of God. Even the, but that, mm. I thought was even, even the atheists saw some, you know, some symbol mm. for them. And um, so you had mentioned that you saw silhouettes of beings, was probably yeah. a bright light behind them, so they were shadowed in the front. It's my guess. That's why it would create that silhouette. And would you feel like? And I, I mean, it's so long ago for you there. So I mean, but I'm sure it's uh, some of it still comes back to you. But do you feel like there was one? Will you feel like it? You were with God and angels. Do you feel like it was you were with God and relatives? Or you know, you said that I thought you said you, the people seemed familiar. Yeah, they well, how, wh- who would you think that you were with, or who do you think you were with? Yeah, so I thought about this a lot, mm-hmm. um, especially when I woke up. I don't know who they were. Some mm-hmm. people have the experiences, recognize people straight away. Right. I didn't know, but yeah, that feeling of being home, mm-hmm. of familiarity, familiarity. Mm-hmm. They, I don't know whether you'd call it God or source, and I felt like there were so many layers to it. I was in one part, but it went so far in front of me, behind me. I was surrounded by it. The yeah. light, it didn't necessarily come from one angle. It, we were in the light. We wow. were the light. The light Interesting. was, it was all consuming. I don't believe they were silhouettes because of lighting. Mm-hmm. And the light was not hard on the eyes. It was a very, you, you could be in the light and not be squinting. Mm-hmm. It was just an all-consuming light. It was just pureness, brightness. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think they were silhouettes because maybe I wasn't meant to know who they were or mm. perhaps I didn't know who they were. I recognized them. They felt familiar, but I didn't actually know who they were because I haven't hadn't experienced a lot of death. I, sure. I'm not actually too sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and you probably didn't have a lot of, you know, 
maybe you didn't know anybody who'd already passed. You know, you were young enough. Your grandparents yeah. are still alive. Siblings are still alive. You know, exactly. everybody's still alive. So there may be not no one that familiar there. I know you said that you just woke up, but did you have a, do you recall leaving? Like, you've got to go now or... No. Or, no, or no, why am I, why am I, you know, I don't want to leave. I'm getting yeah. pulled back, right? Exactly. And it was a pretty amazing place. I can see why people don't want to leave. Mm -hmm. But no, for me, I had no choice. I was given no opportunity to argue whether I could leave or stay. Mm -hmm. I, next thing I knew, I woke up and I was coming out of my coma. So you were just like in paradise, light, love, infinite love, happiness. And then all of a sudden you're out. It was like, yeah. all of a sudden you were just like someone pulled you right out instantly. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I didn't, um, there was no travel for me. Some people travel through tunnels. Mm -hmm. Other people, it's the same as me. It's like, you know, it just happens. Click of our fingers. It just takes place. Mm -hmm. So I was there and then I woke up. I was there mm -hmm. in the hospital room. Yeah. Wow. And then without being told, you had this awareness of everything that already had happened anyways, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I knew, I knew pretty much what was wrong. I didn't know the details. Like I couldn't have said, yeah, I had an AVM on my brain or my mm -hmm. brain was bleeding. Right. But I knew that everything was exactly to plan that I'd had brain surgery. I knew that I had quite a journey ahead of me and definitely mm -hmm. what, you know, I was aware of what was in front of me. So mm -hmm. the whole thing about learning how to walk and how to reintegrate back into school and mm. friendships and things like that. I knew that was ahead of me. I knew it would be tough, but I also knew that I wouldn't die again. I knew that I was back to stay, Interesting. which gave me a huge sense of purpose mm -hmm. of I've got something to do. Why am I back? I, you know, if, if I didn't die, then mm. there's something really big I have to do. Yes. Interesting. And people ask me all the time, do you know what it is? And I yeah, still don't, I don't know, but I, I throw my heart into everything that I do. I'm uh, very all or nothing. I'm all in. Well, you know what? Maybe you're doing it and you don't even know that you're, what you're supposed yeah. to You're actually doing it right now. Let me interrupt you real quick. I've got a question here. Um, did you read or see stories about NDEs prior to what happened to you? No, I had no clue of the concept. I didn't know it had a name. I didn't know what had happened. Mm -hmm. The way that I worked it out was it was years and years later, mm -hmm. more than 10 years later. And there's a prominent, um, there was a guy in New Zealand who had a near-death experience and he was one of the ones that people knew here. Mm -hmm. And he was in the church as well because his was very much a, I guess you could say a salvation near-death experience. So he was a non-believer. He had this experience and he came out very devout Christian and mm -hmm. has lived that way ever since. Mm -hmm. And so his story, I heard his story through the church circles that I was in. Mm -hmm. And I thought, far out. That's mm -hmm. like what I had. Mm -hmm. And I freaked out because I wow. I still hadn't got a term for it. I didn't, I just had this crazy experience at that stage and I hadn't really told people because mm. what do you tell them? And I was afraid of being crazy and mm. yeah. So no, I hadn't even heard of a near death experience. It was years and years later that this guy had one. Mm. And then when he had that, I thought, Oh, that's like what I had. I wonder if I had a near death experience too. Mm. And then I put it back under the rug because I didn't really want to face it. And then still years and years later is when I started to, um, 
hear more and more about them. It was always in the back of my mind. I kind of always knew that I would get to the point where I would have to face it. Right. So, yeah, when I started to do research, when the internet was around and people, you know, there's so many more stories out there now because we've got modern medical facilities, we've got resuscitation Mm -hmm. techniques, which are well more advanced than they were earlier. Mm -hmm. And then we've got the internet to be able to find these stories and to get into support groups and connect with people. At a certain point after you came out of your coma, someone may have told you, or maybe they waited for a while, they didn't want to, you know, freak you out anymore, but I would assume at a certain point someone said, um, you know, you'd flatline twice on the table. So did you ever kind of, okay, I flatlined twice, and then you said, oh, that's what that experience was. I was actually dead. And I came back. Did you ever click, I was dead and came back? Or did you always just think of it as, I had this really weird, amazing experience? Yeah, well, I did think that for quite a while. It was my father, actually. Um, When I moved out of the critical care and I started to stabilize and it got to the point where family were visiting me. Mm -hmm. And he said, wow, we nearly lost you, kidder. Mm -hmm. I can remember him saying that. He said, twice they nearly lost you. And I just went, yeah, I know. But then obviously because they had to abort the surgery, I still had all of these physical issues. Mm. They made me know, like they made it clear to me very early on, we are not done. So at any point it could happen again because Mm. they hadn't fixed the problem. So I was on very high watch, high alert. Right. Um, Yeah, so I knew that the problem wasn't fixed and I knew that they had to stop the surgery because I died on the table. So I think it was probably around about then you know, still in the hospital that I'm going, oh, maybe I died. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. But I, I mean, I didn't know what a, an NDE, a near-death experience was at right. that point at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's very interesting. So now, many years later, you have a book out called Life by Design, right? Yeah. And you're giving people advice on how to live their life, to do, I'm assuming, the most that they can with their life, to try not to have any regrets at the end of their life. So can you give us some practical advice about you know designing our own lives? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, like I said, I came back with such a passion, a feeling like I had this purpose and I wanted to live life to the full. I wanted to live a very juicy, fun, adventurous life and tick off as many boxes as I could. And I've, I've been a bit like that. I've thrown myself into a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But what I've actually found is the most important thing is actually stripping away all of that stuff yes. and connecting on a very deep level with ourselves. But also, you know, I'm going to say God because, mm-hmm. you know, who, whoever's listening, however they respond to that, God, source, light, whatever that might be, mm-hmm. And just trying to work out how we can live our, you know, connecting to our current moments because everything that we do today sets the stage for everything that we do in the future. You know, we're constantly building what's ahead of us. Right. So if we can narrow in onto our current moments, that's where, you know, we can start to design what our future moments look like. So that's where I got the title of the book because if I looked back, over my life and I looked back about how I went from lying paralyzed on the hospital bed to I went on to become a personal trainer and, you know, physically fit, do a lot of stuff that actually most people don't do and some people can't do, Mm -hmm. really push the boundaries. Because when I look back on all of that, it's understanding that the little things make the big things and the current moments make the future moments. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, that's what I do. I help people to understand that. I also do a lot in terms of talking about death and okay. understanding that death is not necessarily a bad or scary thing. Mm -hmm. Because, I, I mean, I don't know what it's like there, but over here we definitely don't talk about death. It's not a common yes. topic. You don't go out for Friday night drinks <laughs> or dinner and sit right. down and go, right, should we talk about death? Right. Well, not usually anyway. And so because death is such a natural thing, and I don't believe that death is the end, I believe that there's more after this life that we have, mm -hmm. I really want to open that conversation to take away the fear of death. So it's all about, it's the same coin, but looking at it different ways. So mm -hmm. one is living life to the full, mm -hmm. you know, having an amazing life, connecting to our moments and being consciously connected to what we're doing rather than just going through life because mm -hmm. we can go through life and, that's where the regret kicks in. I wish I'd done this or how did I get here? You know, you suddenly find yourself in a situation. You're thinking, that's not what I had planned. How did I end up like this? Mm -hmm. So it's about connecting to those moments. And then on the flip side of that, it's uh, understanding that we all die and preparing for death. Mm -hmm. So when I say preparing, it's understanding what that moment might be like thinking about our families, thinking about what we leave behind, you know, mm -hmm. we're going to have legacy, memories, right. what's our mark on the world, and how can we how can we do some really great stuff in the world before we leave it? Yes. So, yeah. Well, that's great. A lot of different things. I have a lot of fun doing what I do. I love what I do. I that's love helping people. I love inspiring people. That's awesome. Let me catch a question yeah. here. During your experience, did you feel like you returned to home? as in a sense of familiarity and that you have been there before like remembrance. Yes. But it's a weird one because it feels like I've been there before. Mm -hmm. but yeah. I can't remember being there. Hmm, interesting. It was, it's a, it's an emotional feeling. Mm -hmm. It was familiar. It felt really good. Familiar. I felt love, like love, like I've never felt just right. so much love, like a real pure love. But right. It's probably, yeah, it was like, oh, I remember this place, Yeah, but I don't remember this. But, you know, it's, again, it doesn't connect. Right, right. But, yeah. yeah, it did feel like home. It did feel like I've been there before. Interesting. And, um, yeah. That's, uh, that's very interesting. Let me catch another one here. Did you know, as you were in your experience, that you left loved ones behind in life? Like, did you no. know that you left your family? You didn't know that. You like had you? For, that's a very good question. Did, a, did you know that you left people behind, or B, had? And I'm adding to this: had you even forgotten about your life? Like you just were in this new place, and all, your your life before didn't even exist anymore. Yeah i I wasn't even thinking about life. It wasn't even a concept to me mm -hmm. to think about people left behind. To think mm -hmm. that I wasn't there. I. I was just in the experience, mm. but I was in the experience with my father being there. So that was confusing. But I think yeah. because he was there, maybe that gave me some kind of reassurance or something. I've never really thought about that. Yeah, but I was definitely, I wasn't thinking about earth. I wasn't thinking about my family. Mm. I wasn't, I didn't know I was dead. I didn't, mm. I didn't know I was on, op on an operating table, put it that way. Okay. I was just in the experience in the moment. Yeah. Okay. Could you sense that you've changed dimension and left another so to speak did you feel like you were in like a different maybe you know in a different dimension yeah it was nothing like here yeah 
I, I'm I'm probably going to have to say yes to that. Again, okay. a really great question. Mm-hmm. I haven't thought too much into that. It wasn't like life on earth here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm going to say yes. It felt like a different dimension. All right, here's another question. Two more questions. You're getting popular here. I love these questions. Do you think that there is life after death? Absolutely. Absolutely. That is one thing I 100% believe. All right, that's good. Because, yeah, I mean, what I've experienced makes me believe that. Mm -hmm. I've, I've experienced so many more things since returning, you know, spiritual experiences and I've interviewed hundreds of people who've had these experiences and the common theme is that we don't die. We are spirit and bodies. Yeah. I don't believe we die. Right. So yes, absolutely. Okay. Do you believe in reincarnation? Do you believe we keep coming back or we go there and stay there or we go there and then go somewhere else? Yeah, I love this question. I do believe in reincarnation now. Mm-hmm. I didn't in the earlier times and in the beginning because I think I probably putting on my Christian belief system that was a little bit hard for me to comprehend. Mm -hmm. But everything that I've learned in the research that I've done in the last, probably the last five years, which is when I've really started to look at this stuff, I do believe in reincarnation. Yeah, I believe we come back and back and back. Mm. People say, well, why do we come back? And I think possibly to have life lessons, to learn things, to mm. develop and to grow spiritually. Mm-hmm. People ask, well, why do we need to grow spiritually? And there are a lot of questions. I don't have all the answers to these questions, mm-hmm. but I do think that we come back time and time again because if I was in that place and it felt so familiar and I felt like I was in a place of home, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. the only way that that can work is if I've been there before. Mm-hmm. And there are so many stories out there of reincarnation. The more I get into spiritual research, the more Mm. that it backs it up. And I think, yes, it is true. Yeah. You know, it's funny is I heard this, there's a famous guy that I heard and I understand his point. I don't know exactly what his beliefs are. I've never met and talked to him, but he said, look at all these people, you know, they're just walking around like they're like they're coming back, like they just are not paying attention. I think his point was they're just living their life day to day. They have no goals, no, not doing what they want to do. Maybe they're stuck in a job, you know, whatever. And as if they just don't care because, you know, they're yeah. coming back anyways. For him, maybe you're not coming back, so you better make the best of it now. You know what I mean? Make the best of it. But I think your viewpoint is still make the best of it so you don't have any regrets. You may still come back or you're coming back, but still make the best of it. Exactly. And that's what I was thinking of as you were saying that Mm -hmm. was, I think it's something like 85% of people don't like the job that they're in. Yes. That is where the regret comes when, you know, you see so many people walking around and it's like they're dead before they've died. They're asleep. They're just in this state of this is what I do. Yes. Which is where what I was saying before, the concept of coming back to our current moments and being consciously connected to them mm-hmm. eliminates that because it's it's the walking around half asleep and not embracing life that leads to the regret, which leads to the deathbed regrets. And when you get to deathbed regrets, there's often very little you can do at that stage. Yes. So I want to re re um gosh, the word's just gone out of my head. This mm. is what happens to me. Um, reverse engineer, that's what I'm saying. I want mm. to reverse engineer regret. So right. rather than waiting till it happens, let's rewind the clock. So on my deathbed, here's how I want to feel. Here's the memories I want to have. Here's 
what I want to have done or achieved mm-hmm. or here's how I want the people around me to feel mm-hmm. and then reverse engineer that. So when the regret comes up and people ask me a lot about can you eliminate regret mm-hmm. and I think you can but it's going to take some work. But just because we have a regret, like I, something happened in the past, mm-hmm. we can't go back and change it in the past, but we can change the way that we look at that regret. We can change the relationship that we have with that regret. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, that re- involves a conversation, you know, quite a heavy conversation. So I'm really, yeah, quite determined to eliminate the regret, which comes back to living in the present moment. Mm, that's great. Yeah. All right, let me catch some more questions here. Do you believe you were in heaven and or do you have a definition of heaven? What does that make any sense to you? Yeah, that that makes great sense. Mm. I don't know. I mean, we're so limited with our language. So I would say yes, if you're thinking about everyday language, yes, that was heaven. Mm-hmm. But you made a really great point before Jeff about a Christian will see Jesus, a, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll see our different religious figures and an atheist will see some, I can't remember what words you used to bring. Oh, like an an energy being or something, a being of light, something like that. Yeah. So I think our definition of heaven is quite possibly interpreted to what our beliefs are, what we've experienced. Hmm. I don't know if that's quite making sense because again, it's hard to describe, but if we're talking about the English language, was that heaven? I would say that is what we describe as heaven. I've talked to people who have walked through gardens with Jesus. They've seen mm. lakes and rivers and glass buildings. And wow. other people go out into the galaxy and they fly around in the galaxy and sit mm. on stars and planets mm. and all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah, that makes me feel good just hearing that. Yeah, yeah. But there are some negative experiences as well. Mm. Oh, wow. I don't necessarily believe in hell. Yeah, I don't either. Um. Yeah, but I believe there are different layers of this place. Mm. And I think that potentially when I was in the black place, the void, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. when I went to the light, that was maybe a higher level of the same place. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, again, very hard to say. But, I mean, it was just the most beautiful place. And if I end up there forever, then I'm going to be happy as. So. Yeah, Let yeah. me. that's amazing. Let me catch some more questions. Do you believe life is random? Meaning the people we meet in life and live with, are they other energies we get put on earth with or are they carried forward in the next place? So your family, I'm putting too many questions. Let's just start with that one first. So like the people you, yeah. the people that we interact with in life, do you think that we interact them, you know, is it just random or do you think that, you know, somehow we are destined to meet them or, or they've been, you know, put in our path for a reason? Mm-hmm. So there's a concept of soul groups, mm-hmm. which is that we we reincarnate with certain people and we do it over and over again with the same people. Mm-hmm. I have wondered when I was in the light and there were these seven or eight people around me, mm-hmm. whether they were beings from my soul group. Mm-hmm. The other thing is wondering also whether they were future people. I don't necessarily know that they had all died and that they were there previously in my past maybe they were future there in my my life again mm-hmm, don't know mm-hmm. if that makes sense but um th- yeah so there's a really strong concept of soul groups where you come back and you reincarnate with mm-hmm. the same people over and over again but you play different roles so one time you might be the brother another oh, time wow. you might be the mother the son the father to get the different experiences to get that learning and that growth hmm, that's and interesting a lot of people talk about how we 
we predetermine a lot of our life. So we, we work it out before we come here and then we know the relationships that we're going to have with different people. So some people will say that they meet somebody and they're so familiar. You know, we talk about um, soul soulmates and mm-hmm. just that connection. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And you talk, you look at people who are on their deathbed as they're right before they're dying and they will say, oh, I can see Aunt Betty or so-and-so. They see figures of previous people. And yeah. I think that's where maybe the soul group's reinforced as well is that they're seeing people from their soul group. Oh, yeah. So, that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's a really good question, and it opens up so many rabbit holes of research or conversations. Right. But the short answer is I do think we probably come back with the same people, but not the same people every time because, we, you know, when I look at my friends, are they part of my soul group, even though they're quite far removed from my everyday life? You know, mm-hmm. if they're not close friends but they're acquaintances, mm-hmm. how big is the soul group? Mm-hmm. So many questions. Yeah. Let me get you. In. I got another one. They keep yeah. coming yeah, now. Yeah, that's okay. I love it. It's kind of the same thing. I mean, a soul group. I mean, I think you've kind of already answered it, but, you know, they. do you feel like you meet your family in heaven or, you know, I guess heaven because we're kind of defining it as heaven. Like if you, yeah. you know, if you're if your sibling dies, your parents dies, when you get there, do you think that you meet them there or will? Mm. Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, I do think so, because I think that after the experiences that I've heard, the research that I've heard, mm-hmm. that's the common theme, even in this research by Bruce Grayson, um, mm-hmm. the research indicates that we, we're reunited with past loved ones. Mm-hmm. We're reunited with family members. Again, when people are dying, that's who they see. So I would say, yes, I do think that we are all connected. Mm-hmm. There's stories of people waiting to receive you. So there's another really interesting concept, which is called a shared death experience. Hmm. And this is where somebody will have an experience of someone dying, but they don't physically die. Their life is in no danger at all. So, Hmm. for example, they might be in a hospital room, someone's in the hospital bed with terminal cancer, Mm -hmm. and the person will experience death with them. Wow. But then come back to their body. And they see what the person sees. They see them being handed over. Yeah, there's, there's quite a few of these experiences around. Mm-hmm. And so that makes me think that, yes, people are waiting for us and we are reunited with, mm-hmm. I guess you'd call it our family in mm-hmm. heaven, if that's what we want to call it. Mm-hmm. I've kind yeah. of often thought or theorized that, you know, heaven is a place where time doesn't exist. Yeah. It's kind of like in space, there's no gravity. It's hard for us to, you know, we kind of imagine it because, you know, okay, you see people floating around or nothing, but I mean, you know, floating around, but, and, and maybe more I think about it as space. They say space is a vacuum, right? Mm. You know, you break out of the atmosphere and you're in a, you're in a vacuum and, it, and it's kind of hard to even conceptualize in some ways. But so I wonder if heaven is kind of like a bubble, a timeless bubble of heaven, and if with no time exists, okay, well, th- now I'm going to reincarnate to the 1700s. And now I'm back here. I'm dead again. You know, we don't know when we, if, if we do choose and if we're going to go with our soul group or whatever. Okay, now let's go to, you know, 2033. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like all time, if, if you're at a place where you're out of time, but all time already exists around you and you choose where you want to go in that per- certain amount of time. Mm. Yep, totally. 
because there's there raises the questions about time and living in linear worlds mm -hmm. we always look forward but i love that you talk about reincarnating to a previous time in history mm -hmm. how do we know what's forward what's backwards do we get to choose where we go mm -hmm. can we live different lives all at the same time and we're getting really far down the rabbit hole now yeah but these questions are really valid i think because yeah. We, we know things how they are in our life here. Mm -hmm. What I do know is that in the experiences that I've researched, there's very, very little concept of time. Okay. Most people don't have a clue. Like it's just like I was saying before, it wasn't on my radar. My family being home just wasn't a concept to me. Mm -hmm. Time doesn't seem to be a concept to people as well. Mm. And they can feel like they've been gone for months and it's been just a couple of minutes or it's been 20 seconds or eight seconds. We just don't know. But... Wow. The ones that tend to have the near-death experience for longer tend to have deeper experiences. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that mine was very, very brief. Right. Uh, yeah, but you're right. You're right. We can choose, uh, you know, hopefully we can choose where we go and how we go. And mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Let me get another question here. All right. What about if you have many lovers, marriages, etc. in life? Does that mean when you die, do all the husbands, wife, etc., fight, fight it out? Or, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, I would assume when, you, when you're in heaven, it's such an amazing place. You know, violence doesn't exist. You're you're too happy to care about what exactly. your ex, what your ex is doing. You're in infinite yeah. happiness. Who cares about your ex anymore? Exactly. And I'm no pro because I, mm -hmm. you know, I haven't been there for very long. I right. don't have too much knowledge there. But I would say what I do know is it was all about love. Right. It was all about connection, that we are one, we are connected. Mm -hmm. And so I think any any conflict or negative feelings, that mm -hmm. they're just not there. They're just, it's just not an issue. It's not there. I would agree with um, that. I think yeah, that we're all part of this beautiful connection. And I think we leave a lot of that stuff behind when we go. Mm. You know, I've heard a yeah. theory on life before. I mean, this is my interpretation, what they were trying to teach. And I wonder if you could think what you think about this is that imagine if God is one, you know, there's God and, and maybe it's just one being and then God, you know, okay, well, let's create a game or something and let's, break ourselves into billions of people into a game and we got into the game so much that we don't even know that we're in the game anymore yeah. and we're back yeah. and, and we're experiencing back and forth in and out of this game. It's just like this constant game that's being played. And so, you know, and, and that's the way for one being to have experienced everything. And, and I'm just curious. I mean, I don't know if I believe that or not, but I just th find it interesting to think about that, especially when you say, and maybe other people say, that when you go back, you have this experience, feeling of oneness, that we're all one. Do you feel like, and I'm sure it's hard to remember, but would you? do you think you would feel, or maybe you felt like you and all the other beings are just one being? Mm. I do think that. I think... It's not even one being, it's an energy thing. It's a, we are collective, we are one. Mm -hmm. We are God, God is us, we mm -hmm. are, mm -hmm. we are all connected. So mm -hmm. people talk as well, um, 
and often a lot of spiritual experience. People have had things like a Kundalini waking, awakening or mm-hmm. have these amazing experiences through meditation. Right. They talk about the same connection, the oneness, mm-hmm. and that can become I'm one with the tree and I'm one with the grass and the sun and the sky. And, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds a little bit cuckoo. It sounds, it's quite a big thing to comprehend. Mm-hmm. But through these practices, people can experience what I would say is probably quite similar to that oneness that we experienced. Hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think anything's possible, right? Yeah, of course. I think we are definitely one, though. Yeah. Let me check yeah. and see. Do we have any other questions? Well, this is a good one. Do you think that uh, Do you think that people who have passed already, let's yeah. say, if you had a grandfather that have I'm sure probably your grandparent have died by now. Um, yeah. Do you think that they can, you know, look down into our realm and see what's going on? People always say, yeah, grandmother's looking down on us, you know, and she's watching us and blessing us or whatever. You know what I mean? I do think so. Again, I think um, it comes back to that connection that they understand what's going on for us. They can come and be part of our life. I believe quite strongly in the spiritual abilities. So whether Mm -hmm. people can communicate um, in terms of like mediumship or things like that. Mm -hmm. I do think that that's all quite real. Mm-hmm. Whether that's what they want to do, whether that's high on their agenda to come and check out what we're doing, I'm not sure. I think they've got better things to do, to be yeah, honest. I, I yeah. think they're available for us and they can offer guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people would say that we've got guides, we've got angels, we've got people to help us mm-hmm. or spirits to help us in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. I think they're probably better to call on really um yeah i don't know that they're all that bothered by what we're doing down here they've got other things to do but i do think that they can help us i do think that they if we ask them Mm -hmm. they can show themselves to us Mm -hmm. we need to be extremely open to that right yeah yeah, i I think everything's possible i kind of believe that yeah they wouldn't be concerned about here anymore I don't think no. they would. I don't think they would care. I heard a story one time of a woman that I think in her neck or right in her brain, she had an aneurysm that was about to pop, and they uh-huh. did an experimental surgery on her, where they took her and they cooled her body down to like fifty degrees, and they only had this thirty-minute window to go repair the artery, uh-huh. and so what they did is they fro, you know, cooled froze her body down, not frozen, but, you know, cooled her down. And I'm not, I, I can't tell you the specifics on what exact temperature yeah. it was. During the surgery, she popped out of her body and she was watching the surgeon drill a hole in her head and, and they, and they were having problems with the IV and she's noticed all that. And then at some point, boom, she went to like, you know, to the light and to, to heaven mm-hmm. and she was there with her uncle and it was amazing for her. And she had kids and everything. And her, she, her, his uncle was like, well, you got to go back. And she says, oh, I don't, I, no, I don't want to go back. It's, you know, she didn't want to come back. And she was, and he said, well, what about your little kids? And she said, they'll be okay. Don't worry. She, you know, even at her, it was so amazing. Oh, they'll be okay. Don't worry about it. But um, finally, I guess she, she had to go back. And it was interesting also that as soon as she popped back, boom, she was in this freezing cold body because they were still warming her back up. But and she had told yeah. the doctors and nurses, like, hey, I, I, I was watching you. you. I saw that you had a problem with the IV in my leg. And, um, and anyways, the whole point of me was saying this is that, and I think that you would kind of be the same way, is that it's such an amazing place that you really wouldn't be concerned about Earth anymore. 
Well, I think some of that comes back to purpose. So, yes, you're definitely right. And the majority of people mm-hmm. don't want to come back. Right. Then there are definitely stories. Um, I've had people share with me experiences where they are showing their kids' future lives. So mm-hmm. some of the things that will happen if they die, if they lose them as a parent or, you know, the the state of their marriage going forward, you know, with only one of them being there they get a glimpse of their purpose and how life will be not okay for the people involved. Ah, interesting. If they choose not to come back. Right. So sometimes they get a choice. Some people don't get a choice. They just get shown this is what happened. You're going back. Right. But I think again, it comes back to that purpose of she probably had some unfinished work. She probably had something she had to do for her family's life in the future. Mm-hmm. And, like I said, I came back with just this passion for life of if I didn't die, I need to live and I need to live really hard and fast and I mm. need to squeeze the juice out of life and fulfill everything I can Right. because there's a reason I'm here. Right. But I think sometimes our purpose can be something really super tiny Interesting. that becomes a catalyst for big change. It could be um, a simple conversation that needs to happen that can change so much for the people involved. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, I come back and I'm looking for my purpose and I'm thinking I've got to do great big things. And, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds ridiculous, but there's been times in my life when I thought, oh, maybe I'll be famous. Maybe I'll be on TV. Maybe this, maybe that. Mm-hmm. Because I have such a strong feeling of it. Mm-hmm. But actually what I've come to learn is that purpose can be the tiniest thing, like showing up somewhere for someone doing something, a small little gesture or something like that, mm-hmm. being a mum, getting your, I don't know, it could be doing something that means that somebody misses being in an accident. And so like we never know what our actions do. Every day we have no idea the impact of our actions. Right. We think we do nothing significant. Right. But actually every little thing could be mind-blowing significant and we just don't know that. Right. So, um, again, I would say it comes back to purpose. Some people come back because they've got unfulfilled stuff that they have to do. Mm-hmm. And my personal belief is that we don't die for real. We don't stay dead mm-hmm. until we've completed our purpose. Yes. Yeah. So That's it's a really interesting topic, though. Why do some come back? Why do some get the choice? Right. Why yeah. not? Yeah. Let me catch another question here. Yeah. The guest said, you just hinted at the idea of seeing a manifestation. Do you believe in ghosts? I do. I believe in spirits. Mm-hmm. And I believe that there are different types of spirits. Okay. Um, I don't focus too heavily on them. Yeah, I would call them more spirits than ghosts. but. Mm-hmm. We te- I think we probably tend to think of ghosts as spirits which are earthbound or here and unable to leave for some reason or they want to come and cause disruption for some reason. Yeah, and I, I think that probably comes down to unfinished business. But yes, I do. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think we are spirits living in a very spiritual world connected right. to physical bodies and physical things. So right. I kind of hypothesize that maybe ghosts would be people who have popped out of their body or their their body died maybe suddenly tra- traumatically suddenly maybe they're in the void like you had spoke of or somehow they just have some kind of attachment to yeah. this you know i don't know what you know you know earth or what, what you want to call our dimension that we live in somehow they have this attachment maybe they don't even realize that they're dead they're still like well, cruising around that they're yeah. and someone has to tell them 
hey, you're dead. You get in communication, tell them you are dead. You need to go to the light. And once they get that, then they leave. Yeah. I've heard of a lot of stories where that's the case. Um, yeah. People who do a lot of spiritual work saying mm. people are walking around dead, but they don't know that they're dead. Right. Uh, a girl shared a story with me just at the weekend, actually, of mm. a little girl. I think she was two, two or three years old, mm-hmm. a spirit. And for a hundred years, she'd been playing with the blocks on the floor mm. in this bedroom of this other girl. Yeah. Um, obviously over generations, but for a hundred years. And she said, I've been here for a hundred years. Mm. And she was waiting for her brother to come home from school. Or There was some story behind it, but the little girl didn't know she was dead. Right. And didn't know that she could leave. And she was stuck in this place. Right. Playing with blocks for literally a century. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe at that point, time, you know, again, you're at a, t- a place where there's no time. When you pop, maybe. maybe when you pop out, time again doesn't exist. You know, I, guess, I mean, we could just go on forever about time. So interesting, right? <laughs> I mean, time is a. Um, let me get another question here. I saw some Twitter posts saying U.S. data carriers are being hit by a massive multinational DDoS attack. This is totally off centered. I think he was just chatting with some. All of a sudden, my Twitch thing, my Twitch signal went down. For like, it kept going on and off, on and off. So that someone had posted something about that there. Uh, uh, so one of the side effects of having a near-death experience is electrical um, interference. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine the fun that I have when I get on a group of people, group of experiences, mm-hmm. and the technology is just going absolutely haywire. So there's possibly some of that going on. I don't know. It's quite common for me to experience stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, may just be the the internet who knows all right um one of the guests didn't get here at the very beginning and he wants to know when you were in the void were you scared no no i i was confused if anything there was no fear Mm -hmm. there certainly wasn't joy it was just an absence of anything there was no light there was no dark there was no there was nothing. I can't explain it because we've always got something here. Mm-hmm. We've always got something. But no, there was no fear. There was absence of pretty much everything except for this voice and a little bit of confusion because I couldn't find the voice and I couldn't find my body. Okay. So. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm probably older than you, and I don't know if you remember a movie. I believe it was somewhere in the 80s. And I can't remember the name of it. It had something to do with heaven. And I wonder if you've seen this movie before. This guy um, dies, goes to heaven, and falls in love in heaven. And he, you know, and I guess one of the angels told him, you're not supposed to be falling in love here, blah, blah, blah. And then his, the woman that he falls in love with reincarnates. And he's yeah, crazy about, and he's crazy about her. So he decides to reincarnate to go find her. But the angel tells her, if you go back, if you don't find her, you're gonna be remis- you're gonna be miserable. You're not gonna remember anything that happened here at all. Yeah. I know this is your purpose is to meet this girl again. You know this is your purpose before you go back. This is your purpose to meet this girl again. But. You're not going to know that purpose when you reincarnate. You have no idea what your life yeah. is about. And it's a really, really cool movie because the people he knows in heaven, which kind of goes along with your soul groups, he, he runs into these people again down on earth. 
And there's something, I can't remember, but there's something that he's good at something in heaven, but it has nothing to do with it. But they said, the guy had said something like, well, you're going to have a gift at this when you get in on earth. And he became like a gifted musician because something he picked mm-hmm. up in heaven or something. But it's an amazing movie. I think it's Timothy Hutton is the guy, is the main I actor. But the more you explain that, I was like, yeah, I've seen this movie. Oh. It's interesting. Um, the amnesia part of it. So people coming back, you know, we have no memory of previous lifetimes, which is mm-hmm. where you question about reincarnation. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We can never prove anything. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting because the amnesia thing seems to be so, so strong. And yet, why do we have that? Life would be so much easier if we can remember why we're here or what we're meant to do or Mm-hmm. understand a lot of the stuff because when uh, people have these experiences they often remember a lot of stuff that they you know they talk about coming back and they've forgotten but when they were there stuff made sense mm-hmm. and they understood it some people get to bring some knowledge back yes. especially if it's about future events or understanding different things they get to bring that knowledge back with them mm-hmm. but the amnesia is very very real and we are like that guy walking around we have no clue and we're trying to work it out, which is where the levels as well, the development levels comes into it. Mm-hmm. If we've progressed in our spiritual development, mm-hmm. maybe it's easier. Maybe we have more of a clue. Mm-hmm. I don't think we start from scratch in every lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, uh, What do you think about yeah. this? Because sometimes we, you know, the family and I, we talk because we have a adorable little dog. And, and I talk about, you know, the dog has only a certain amount of brain power. So, like, if I leave the house and go to work, the dog does has no concept of me going to yeah. work. What do I do when I leave or whatever, right? And people always say that, and I think it's just common in religion, you know, you don't understand what God is doing, you know. We, we have no understanding of what God is doing, which I can see that point of view, because if God did create everything, there's no way our puny brains or whatever, even without a brain, you know, then if we once we leave the body and we don't have a brain, just still spiritual energy or consciousness, I still don't think, mm. or maybe we do, I don't know. But I mean, we don't, we still can't understand God, right? Or understand everything God has, you know, created everything, is everything, yeah. right? It's too much, right? Right. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, that's another thought. Do we have any more questions here? We don't have any more questions. Okay, well, let's go on with this now. Um, what is the best way for people to find out more about you? I know you have a podcast. Um, tell us about that and your website and any other way to, for people to find you. Okay, well, it's pretty easy to find me. I'm all over the place on the internet, really. Mm-hmm. My podcast is called Let's Talk Near Death, and okay. this is where I interview other near-death experiences mm-hmm. and which has become, I guess, one of the basis things of all of the research that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. I've also got my website, which is kirstysalsbury.com. Mm-hmm. And if you search my name, then you'll pretty much find me. I do a lot of talk about death, near-death experiences. I do life coaching. I do death coaching. I do mm-hmm. all sorts of different things. So, yeah, mm-hmm. plug in my name into the internet and pretty sure you'll find me. Okay. And you do have a book yeah. out. It's on Amazon, right? Uh, yes, it is on Amazon. It's called A Life by Design. Okay. It's also available through my website direct. Um, okay. Yeah. It's I through it's you. On, I think it gets shipped from Australia, so it ends up being tricky. But yes, A Life by Design. So it's on your website and Amazon or just from your website? Yeah. 
from both? I think it's on both. Yeah. Okay. All right. Do you? I'm so. I'm I'm sorry. Can you say that again? I don't sound very certain. It's okay. Um, Do you have any projects that you're working on right now that you want people to know about? I'm always working on projects. I think the main thing is my podcast interviews. Yeah, I'm always putting. I put them out weekly. Mm -hmm. Always expanding on that and trying to find out the question, the answers for the questions that people want. I am currently writing a dying well program. So this is what I talked about earlier in the show where mm. we live life to the full and then we die to the full. So we die these really great lives. So this is a holistic look at death. Mm. And it's a five module program that you go through when you start to really think about your beliefs around death. It's mm. not a spiritual one, spiritual mm. program as such, but thinking about your beliefs. What do you think happens? What is it that you want for your death? Mm. Um, it gets quite practical in terms of pulling together a will and end-of-life care types, um, documents, things like that. So that's something that I'm working on at the moment. That's mm-hmm. probably going to be released in the next month. And then the other thing that I do, just for another thing, is I teach podcasting. So I have a podcasting course for people that are wanting to learn how to podcast and get their own stories out there. Oh, awesome. That's also on your website? Yeah. Um, it is on my website, yes. I get very busy. Oh, awesome. That's great. Do you have any message that you would like to leave the audience with? I think it is around that regret. Don't die before you're dead. Mm-hmm. So that's connecting to the, the conscious moments, connecting to every day. Mm-hmm. And just living life for the full, no regrets. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean skydiving, jumping out of planes. It doesn't mean that high excitement. Living life to the full might be mm-hmm. having the conversation that you find a little bit scary or embracing the relationship with someone or not necessarily romantical, but really mm-hmm. getting close to your family members, mm-hmm. tearing down those walls that we have in life. So live life to the full. Don't die before you're dead and yeah. let's eliminate regret. Mm, that's good. I like the way that you said you like to reverse engineer regret. I think that's the way you said it, right? Yeah. Reverse right. engineering regret. Uh-huh. I think that's interesting. Because regret usually kicks in when we don't realize. It just suddenly we realize that we regret something. Right. Or if a situation goes wrong, let's fix it before the situation goes wrong. And if it's too late, let's deal with that situation to eliminate the regret. Mm-hmm. Do, you think yeah. it's, do you think it's a good idea to have a bucket list, as people call it? I love bucket lists. I think it's great, but for me, when I'm talking about living life to the full, hard, fast, exciting life, it's mm-hmm. not necessarily about bucket list items. Mm-hmm. But sure, why not? We're here. Let's go and enjoy life. Let's go and do stuff and have mm-hmm. fun and push mm-hmm. some boundaries. For right. sure. Right. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's because I've teetered on and off. I mean, I used to be really into reincarnation. I had to have like a procedure where I was put under anesthesia one time and I was just, you know, gone and back you know what i mean and it's interesting that you're just gone and back and time time again is lost you know and i think about you know i i think about states of brain and i think about okay you know even when you sleep at night you're at a you're almost at that place of anesthesia because Mm. you know you're you know if you sleep eight hours for you know okay six hours you're just gone and then you're back you know and i think the dream state is really right before you wake up right I think that as they look at those levels of brain and um, so I I'd sometimes I had kind of thought this is probably, and it's nice to talk to you because it kind of pulls me out of it, but I kind of sometimes think, okay, well, what if you just die and that's it? You're just like at that point of like, 
you just cease to exist, you know, like the six hours of the sleep where you're just, it, it, it's just gone forever. Or like when I had that anesthesia, it's just gone. You're just gone eternally. You know what I mean? So I said, well, that's the worst mm-hmm. it could be. It's just, you're just gone. You know, it's not like you're in hell and burning forever or whatever for eternity. You're just gone and mm-hmm. forever. But it's hard to kind of imagine just consciousness, you know, not existing anymore. And I think another thing is that it's almost a weird thing for humans because I think humans are the only ones that know of their own demise. Yes. That is the yeah, what, the, what exactly. is the weirdest thing is, I mean, another, I mean, I don't know, we can't talk to animals, but it's almost a curse of life in a way yeah. to think about it. It's like you're cursed at life because you, you don't know, because you know of your demise and yeah. it's going to be over and you don't know what it's going to be in. At least if you go on in some sense of consciousness, then it's okay. You know, just not having a body is not a big deal as long as your consciousness goes on. But just not, you know, even if your consciousness doesn't go on, that's kind of depressing and, you know, scary, I guess. Yeah. I think it comes back to we will never be able to prove anything. We we would never know. Right. And it comes back to that faith element, that belief element. What do you think happens? Mm-hmm. I've got my beliefs and... right. Yeah, but regardless of whether we die and we, mm-hmm. you know, we are nothing, whether we go to hell, whether we go to heaven, let's mm-hmm. enjoy the time that we're here. A yeah. lot of people don't enjoy the time here, mm-hmm. but I think if you connect to the moments, the precious individual mm-hmm. moments, that's how we learn to enjoy things. Yes. Take time to reflect and to be, and we're so busy running around, and I don't know what it's been like for you with COVID going mm-hmm. on, Okay, yeah. but it's been a great time for a lot of people to actually sit and reflect and mm. step out of the normal. Yeah. My wife and I were just talking about the other day that they say that the greatest quality of life in a country is Australia. New Zealand's probably up there. You know, mm. and, it, and in America here, I believe that we are all caught in this trap of, you know, of materialism and capitalism and and buying stuff Mm -hmm. and going out and working and buying and working some more and buying Mm -hmm. something else and working and buying. And it's just a trap. And like you're saying, the COVID kind of like set you down for a while. The unfortunate thing is on our, in our side of the world, you're still consumed in your mind about, well, I still got to pay the bills, even though I'm not working, you know, whereas if you, we may live in somewhere where it's more socialistic, well, okay, at least it would be a great thing if the bills are paid for and I can just chill out at home for, for a month, you know, and Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm definitely not saying that it's all roses. I'm just saying that's one of the good things that could come out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I think what you're saying in terms of quality of life and chasing things, working harder to get more things, you know, Mm -hmm. this is global. I've seen this all over the world. We lived Mm -hmm. in Switzerland for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, you see it everywhere. To be honest, mm-hmm. so. yeah, yeah, and just to kind of, I just want to break free of all of that. You know, and just yeah. Let's just say this is it. Your whole existence. Let's just say we we'll put it. You're here for a hundred years, and that's it. And you ex- cease to exist. You're here. You have this one chance of existing, and then you're gone. So at least we should be here, like making the most of it and enjoying life and doing the most we can, experiencing everything, going everywhere, tasting everything, not being like off to work eight hours a day and then back at home and, and exhausted, go to yeah. bed. And the next day, get up and go off to work every day for eight hours. And you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, because that's not living. Yeah, exactly. So I, was, 
you know, what what is your heart taking or what is it that you want to do? Right. Give yourself permission to do some of the things. And it's really scary. Right. I mean, I've packed and stuff. I've traveled. I've thrown things and, you know, I've experienced a lot of change. Mm-hmm. But without going through the risk, without going through the change, nothing actually gets any better. Which right. then leads on to regret, which, you know, that I, I'm not a fan of. Right. So exactly, we... We need to do things and we need to understand what it is that we want to do. And the way to get there, I believe, is to connect, is to get quiet, get still, Mm -hmm. get rid of all the noise and the distraction Mm -hmm. rather than going to the job that we hate every day. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying you just go to work tomorrow and say, sorry, I quit. Yes. Design straight away. You know, you set up a platform and it comes back to those design principles that I Mm -hmm. talked about before. Mm -hmm. Start implementing the smaller things to get the bigger things in the future. Right. Yeah. All right. Let me catch a question here. I guess it's more of a statement. It's just this this is a statement saying all we have is right now. We should enjoy the life we have and be happy. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And, um, you know, one great thing that my wife, a tragedy that happened to her, but it just brings me a nice perspective is that they were in, they had an earthquake and she's from Armenia and they had an earthquake and at any time, it could be just over. Like, I mean, you're there, and then all of a sudden an earthquake happens, and you walk outside, and all the buildings are just rubble, gone. Yeah. Tens of thousands of people are just gone. So, you know, yeah. at any point, you know, live your life now and, and enjoy it now, and don't wait for tomorrow, you know. I mean, enjoy it right now. Exactly, because yeah. the, the prime time never comes. We always go, oh, well, when this happens, I'll do it. When I've got more time, when I've got more money, when right. this happens, I'll then follow through on my dreams. But there's no right time. We've got to just create that right time by starting. And right. Yeah, we've only got the current moments, exactly. Or well, right. we don't know how many moments we've got, so we need to focus on the current moments. Right. Understanding that the future's there, so we don't want to destroy the future. Right. Studying hard and living life. Right. All crazy in the current moments, but... Right. Yeah, understanding the future, but that time is limited. We never know, which yes. is what I learned. You know, in an instant, I could have been gone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I could talk to you forever, but I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure you don't want to talk to me forever. You you know, you have your day ahead of you, and it, oh. and it makes it difficult for me even to just download all this because it's going to be a gigantic file and to try to edit yeah. it all when you have this gigantic file. But I appreciate you so much. This was an awesome conversation. Um, I really enjoyed um, spending this time with you. I wish you the best on your sell of your book. I wish you the best of your podcasts and anything else that you are engaged in doing. I wish you massive success. Thank you, Jeff. And same to you. I've so enjoyed chatting away to you. This has been great. But yeah, success. I love that you're getting out there and having conversations with people. For me, story is such a huge thing. We need to share our stories. And you're creating a really great platform for people to do that. So yeah. Thank you, and I wish you the best, too. All right. Thank you, and have an awesome day. Yeah, you too. See you. Bye-bye.